When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. I'm Sam Abul Samad. And I'm Rebecca Lynn Lamb. So we're back for episode 102. Um, the gang is all here. We're going to talk about uh, some cars we're, we're driving. So um, we've got the Kia Nero EV, uh, the Ford Edge ST, and the Volvo S60. I'm, I'm sorry, the Volvo V60. Yeah. The, the long, long roof version. Uh, and then in terms of topics, we'll try again to not get too tangentially distracted. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about the Cadillac CT5. Uh, Sam talked with Henrik Fisker, and uh, we're going to talk about the Fisker SUV and the Porsche Taycan. 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 No, Taycan's the thing you buy in the store. Taycan. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's only two then, syllables, Dad. Come on, you could do it. <laughs> if they'd stop making non-words, it'd be a lot easier. Uh, or sure is that a like, word somewhere? Uh, that's the thing, yeah. Porsche probably it's probably like some uh I don't know, they well Volkswagen named cars after wins and the the Touareg was a tribe. I so I don't know what Porsche is. <laughs> anyway. Uh and then we're gonna talk about E V charging etiquette. Uh so let's get to it and let's get to the cars. Um oh we before we start, Sam, you had mentioned that you were just at the NVIDIA GTC. Did you want to talk about that at all or, or? uh no, I mean there, there's not a whole lot that's relevant <laughs> to to this conversation. I mean, okay. So let's let's move on to the cars. Well Sam was at the N- NVIDIA GTC, and if you used our code that he mentioned in the last podcast, you got a deal. Uh yeah, anyway. Twenty percent off. <laughs> but it's over now, so don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, you can no retroactive deals. But I really want to talk about what Rebecca you're driving this week, which is the Volvo V60, because I have such a uh, strong emotional attachment to Volvos as a longtime owner, especially Volvo wagons, and I really liked the S60. Uh, is the V60 as lovely a car as I hope it is? You know what? It's so funny because I think that's exactly the phrase that I used. It's just lovely. (laughs) (laughs) So it really is. It's just, first of all, it's a beautiful looking vehicle inside and out. And in that, you know, elegant, understated Volvo Swedish way. Yes, Scandinavian Uh, luxury. Yes, (laughs) you know, and and it is. It's it's very much of um, representative of Scandinavia. Um, I, I am. Uh, half Norwegian and so my father would be very proud of me that I'm driving mm-hmm. this Swedish car um, since there's no Norwegian cars um, but yeah so, I, so it's the V60 T6 all-wheel drive inscription 
It's oh, that full. is a nice car. It, it's <laughs> and it, it's it's actually denim blue metallic, is what they call it, and it has this luscious, luscious, nearly white interior, and I have perfect to, for hauling the kids around. Well, yeah. so this is what's so interesting is that uh, my mother, who is just hilarious and and is this crazy Italian woman. Uh, she actually raised eight of us in a nearly all white house. <laughs> and it was like, but you just brave teach, woman, right? It's, no, 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 no. Italian mother. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. <laughs> and no plastic covers. Yeah. No plastic right. covers. Wow. But you know, her, now I am really impressed. I, I mean, seriously, her philosophy is, well, you just teach the kids, you know, how to treat the furniture. And we were never allowed to eat outside of the kitchen. But we digress. So, so this is what we do here. It, it, yeah. You know, I've actually had my BMW X5 years ago actually had a white interior. And really, my only rules were no ballpoint pens uh, and, <laughs> you, you know, and, and no, you know, felt tip pens kind of thing. <laughs> no but meatball subs. No meatball subs. <laughs> well, and this is what's so interesting is that, you know, leather is like skin. I mean, it can be rehabilitated and if you treat it right it will treat you right for years to come even if it's white but so the interior is just this stunningly beautiful cabin Uh, it's got a 2.0 liter uh super and turbocharged engine direct injection 316 horsepower eight speed automatic transmission um, all-wheel drive with instant traction and then it has these adjustable drive mode settings which was really interesting because uh, I went to pick up my mom today. So I was back on the Merritt Parkway. And so I tried it in the dynamic performance mode. Originally, I tried it on side roads as I made my way up to the parkway from my house. And it had this weird, almost stuttering. Like, it was kind of, I don't know if, if I mean, the roads were were a little wet, but... It wasn't a great feeling. It was very strange. Was it coming from the suspension or through the driveline? So it felt like it was coming from the driveline. And I was, I was honestly, I was a little confused by it. So I took it out and put it back into comfort mode. I had it in eco mode as well, briefly, and it just dragged. I mean, it, it was, it, it's, it was, really... it was sloggy. Yeah, that's really interesting. I so when I had the S sixty, I had the it, I think it was an inscription as well, and it had the drive modes. And so there are certain times where eco mode was my favorite, and I, it, especially in stop and go traffic, it was uh-huh. perfect because it's not so jumpy. Mm-hmm. I really liked that sort of dragginess that you talked about, and I I think I left it in comfort most of the time. So so once I got onto the parkway, I put it back in dynamic, and it was much happier. Then it was fun to drive. It had this nice crispness to it. Um, the steering tightened up a little bit. It, it it still wasn't dramatically different, but um, but it was fun to drive, you know. And, and that and I enjoyed. It had great acceleration. That you know, it had um, the the torque was better on it. So that was fun. Uh, and then after I got my mom, then I put it back into comfort. And I have to try the eco again in a more appropriate setting, but yeah, I was a little thrown by that dynamic, as the dy- the dynamic drive mode, um, I, on the side roads. I just I didn't 
it, it wasn't appropriate, I guess, which was kind of weird because you would think that maybe driving through some of these zippy roads, it would be. But it was great on the highway. Dan, do you know, does the does that have the uh, the Haldex like, uh, multi-clutch um, all-wheel drive system? I don't know uh, whether it's still the Haldex system, but I, you know, I, I think... It's definitely not like the T8s, right, that have the electric motor that provides the all-wheel right. drive. It's, so the T6 is, um, yeah. I would assume that it's Haldex, and I'll look. Um, but I haven't uh, I haven't really sort of looked into the greasy bits of those for a while. Um, uh, I, have, I have another area that I'm going to try and drive it on. And so I'll report back next week. You know, yeah, it, it, it may be, you know, if it's if it is the, the system that I'm thinking of, you know, then it's got electronically control, a pair of electronically controlled clutches that handle the, the torque balancing between the front and rear axles. Okay. And, um, you know, depending on the surface you're on, you know, in dynamic mode, it might be trying to grab more aggressively. And that might be what you were feeling, um, you know, especially if it was kind of a, a marginal surface, you know, in terms of maybe just a little more slippery than it expected and, sure. and that's why it might, might have felt different in eco mode where you know it's probably trying to engage a little bit slower and more smoothly um, yeah that was so. a, what i was going to say too is like sometimes because it has all that supercharged torque down low mm-hmm. and maybe it was you know detecting slippage and because it's the hall deck system or, or whatever it is it's very quick to respond and so it's it's uh you know apportioning power or cutting torque or whatever mm-hmm. Noticeably, but that's just straight conjecture, and we don't really know. So I, you know, let's see what see what it feels like on your different roads. And so maybe yes. maybe yeah. it's just I, a little too aggressive in some spots. Maybe it is. I I don't know. I just was real. It 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 threw me. Uh, it really did. I was kind of like, wait, what just happened to this lovely car? I will say, comfort mode is very comfortable (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, i want i I wish this the steering in particular was a little bit tighter it's it's pretty loose uh so loose how is it like slow or is there a lot of play or there's a lot of play huh i i like a really really tight wheel though um the the handling is fine the ride is lovely but it was it was very, very silky. And silky's great at times. <laughs> um, and that's why I put it, that's actually one of the reasons I put it into dynamic right away. Because I thought, I want a f- more fun ride than this. I want something that's more responsive. And then I got it, but not in the way that I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a little too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yes, I, I'm, I will be curious to drive it more um as i said i it it just it arrived today uh i probably i drove up and back so i probably put about 50 or 60 miles on it which you know when you think about it is far more than what most people will do in a test drive so i you know i just i'm curious to see how it performs uh throughout the week so i'll keep you posted on that okay yeah it's i really like that that smoothness, that silkiness, and I felt like comfort was really the appropriate mode for it. It just – it's one of the f- first Volvos in quite a while that really feels like it, it fully competes dynamically with um, you know, Audi or Mercedes or 
BMW or even, you know, Acura. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just, you know, even the, like, so like the XC90 that, that shares some of the architecture of this car, just to me, it, it rides a little rougher than I'd expect. It just doesn't feel quite as good as it looks. You know, it doesn't live up to mm-hmm. its, its million dollar looks. They all look fantastic. Right, right. They look, they all look great. Well, it's my sister actually has a 10-year-old Volvo XC90 that I love to drive. And I was yeah. shocked at, at what what a great, great ride and handling that vehicle still has. Well, that and was maybe the, yeah. 12 years old at this point. That was the last time that they got close was the um, the P2s. The, right. So the S60, the XC90. And I, I had one. I actually I had two because mm. <laughs> I thought they were, <laughs> they were that good. Um, and in between, you know, the... To sort of mid two thousands era, um, up till about I don't know the last couple of years, they they just they've done a lot to rejuvenate the brand from an aesthetic sense, and the product has all been refreshed. And now I, they're digging into tuning a bit and uh, just dynamics, and it, it's really paying off because I I just I adored the uh, S sixty that mm-hmm. I had last, and I'm sure that the the V sixty is sort of the same driving experience but it's just that that classic volvo and we should talk more about that it's a wagon <laughs> yes yeah. yes it is a wagon and you know i i absolutely love the ride height on it again it's it's a little bit lower obviously than an suv but it's just so easy to get in and out of and maneuver and you know i had something in the trunk and so i had to put the trunk up and i could actually hit the button without you know standing on my tippy toes and and it was just it was just it's just a it's just a lovely lovely vehicle and yeah it just it you know you just feel good driving it you feel nice and safe you feel like you're you know you're not so much of a uh, stomping through the the earth you know it's just it's just an elegant vehicle it's really lovely yeah, elegance is a good word for it so how did you find census and all of that stuff to use I, I you know what i haven't tried it yet um <laughs> i i hooked up my bluetooth to it my phone with no problem and then um i was able to uh you know i i mean i integrated with the with the hmi very easily uh, and the navigation is fantastic on it, the two D, uh, the two and three D and such. But I haven't really explored the vehicle yet. I just haven't had time. But you, so you didn't find it um, confusing or uh, difficult to, to to use, or like you know, you sit there staring at the screen, swearing at it for a minute or two, or it just it sounds like it just all went swimmingly. It did. There was no swearing involved. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Which is not always the case. No, with and, me and, with systems. <laughs> yeah, well, and especially that one. And and uh, it, it, Sam and I have bitched enough about census, um, probably for all three uh, of us. <laughs> yeah, that's, no, I I think. Um, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not trying to lead you any way, you know, one way or no, the other. No, I was I'm trying just, to think. I'm, I'm really like, interested. no, I really, I really didn't have any problems with it. Well, good. <laughs> which, which, as I said, you know, I, is is a is a low grade miracle. So let's let's hope you feel the same way next week. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you know, I do find that um, it works really smoothly with uh, like Apple CarPlay. That was the way that operates with Census is, is actually quite nice. Okay, so I haven't tried. I have Android Auto. I haven't. I don't even know if it has Android Auto. I've, I've, yeah, yeah, it does have Android Auto. Okay. I've, I've used it on uh, several different Volvos with Android Auto, and it, it does. 
it does work better. Um, you know, it still has the issue in either case of either CarPlay or Android Auto, um, where you know if you swipe over to get one of the other ancillary controls that are that are in in the uh, the left or right pages, mm-hmm. then when you come back, it doesn't always bring up you know the the control screen you know the right control screen. It brings up something related to what you just did. Hmm. Um, and so then you have to go back, swipe back over to the, I guess you got to swipe left to get to the screen on the right to trigger the Android auto control again. So it's, it's, it, that's, you know, it's, it's things like, I mean, that's, that's the sort of thing where, you know, I've found, I've personally found it to be the most annoying in that it's, it's inconsistent in what's going to come up. It doesn't, right. it doesn't necessarily take you back to where you want you it to be. You have to, I think just take it with a slot machine mentality and just, <laughs> you know, like we're going to be surprised. Yeah. You're, you're, you're saying, you're saying this to someone who in all the times that I have gone to Las Vegas for business, I have never once dropped a penny into a slot oh. machine. I, no, we Sam, were, Sam, Sam, we were, that's in, a shame. No, no, that's fine. I totally understand. We were in no, Atlantic I, city. I, I do it. I do it. I do it out of spite for Las Vegas. Yeah. Well, there's, that's, that's true. Um, but I, I casinos like, I, I just, yeah, I, we were in, you don't like, even have to go on a casino. Just oh, that's, as you that's walk true. through Vegas is anywhere. Yeah. As, as, yeah, soon, well, anywhere. as soon as you get, as soon as you walk off the plane, yeah. they're everywhere all around the airport. There's slot machines. Yeah. It's crazy. That sounds terrible. Uh, so let's talk about we'll wrap it up with the Volvo but let's yeah, talk about um, let me just tell you the price point so, yeah. yeah so it so the the base price is 43.4 the inscription goes for 6000 uh, which is a lot of nice features for sure there's a luxury seat pack for 2200 advanced pack that's where um, you're getting adapted cruise control the 360 surround view camera that's twenty five hundred, and then it's got heated heated rear seats and heated steering wheel. It's only seven fifty. Oh, that's a deal, um, <laughs> right? It is. The Bowers and Wilkins premium sound system is thirty two hundred. So all told, destination is nine ninety five. Um, all told, it's up to sixty one four ninety. So almost eighteen thousand dollars in all. Yeah, but you know, like that's. <laughs> The advanced package is actually pretty hefty. That's that's got a lot of uh, features in it that are um, sort of important to your enjoyment of the car. That if you yes. if you drove it with it and without it, you you notice yeah. the things that yeah. are missing. And some of the other stuff is you know you can take it or leave it. That the Bowers and Wilkins stereo is nice, but it's I don't know that it's something that um, everybody's going to cough up the money for. Uh, but still, at sixty one k like. Yeah, it's it's expensive. It's a luxury car. But I try to think about what you'd spend on an Audi or a BMW mm-hmm. or a Mercedes. You can't even get a Mercedes wagon yeah, for, sure. for that price. Yeah. So it's not it's not that bad. And there there really aren't that many wagons. Like uh, the the most comparable thing to that is probably a legacy or an outback i guess they don't make a legacy well i would i would say the buick regal oh yeah uh, yeah Yeah, the tour Tour x X. i think that's pretty comparable and and more in the 40s range yeah that's not going to top out near 60 right yeah you know the one thing i did have issues with is the heads-up display i i don't know how to how to raise it i can't i can't figure that out yet so i got to play around with that a little bit is there a button on the um 
on the left-hand side I, of the dash. I, I no. looked there. I looked there, I, and, I, I, and I didn't find it. But that's in the advanced package. That's why I just I was just looking at it, and that reminded me. I think what you'll find is mm-hmm. the way to do that is you got to use the little directional arrows on the steering wheel spokes and go through. Yeah, the, you know what? I tried that too. You got to get into the right menu for the, um, the okay. instrument panel. Yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah. Things are so. I love heads-up displays, but yeah, you got to sometimes you got to tune them. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that, cool. Yeah, but no, that's not that much. For, I mean, yeah, it's it's a bit of dough, but it's not that not that bad for, for that car. What are you getting fuel economy? Do you know yet, or is it? I don't. It's yeah. estimated at twenty five. Uh, it's twenty one city and thirty one highway. Like Volvos have been for time immemorial. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. All right. Well, it, uh, I can't. We can't give a, a Volvo any more of a ringing endorsement than we. We just did, so let's move on to the next uh, next vehicle. Sounds um, great, Sam. Yes, the Nero EV. Like we've been kind of hotly waiting for that one. Yeah, so I mean, you know, as as longtime listeners will know, you know, I I really like the Nero. You know, I've I've liked it in hybrid form. I've liked it in plug-in hybrid form. You know, I think you know it's you know it shares the platform with the Hyundai Ionic. You know, so under the skin, you know, it's exactly the same, but it has, you know, this, you know, they call it a crossover, but it's really more of a slightly tall hatchback, um, you know, five door, you know, five door hatchback. And, you know, I think it's a really good form factor and, you know, and frankly, a better form factor than the Ionic. Um, and, you know, now they've got a, a full battery electric version of it, which uh, we've been expecting for a while. And uh, this one shares the same battery and the same uh, electric powertrain and everything with uh, both the, the new Soul EV, Kia Soul EV that's coming uh, in the next couple of months, and also um, the Kona EV that I drove a couple of weeks ago. Um, the advantage, you know, the, the, the Nero compared to the, the Kona that I drove, the styling and design, you know, is clearly much more understated, you know, much more sedate. Uh, than the than the than the Kona, you know. I mean, if you like something that's definitely flat, vis, flashier, visually flashier, you know, then the Kona may be the right one for you. But on the other hand, if you regularly need to to carry, you know, a couple of adults along with you, uh, you know, on your on your trips, then the Kona is probably a better choice because it's about a, a four inch longer wheelbase, um, you know, so you've got significantly more rear seat room than you do in the Kona. Um, you know, so it's slightly heavier uh, as a result, uh, and that means that its range is a little bit lower than the Kona. The Kona EV got 258 miles of range on the EPA uh, certification. The um, the Nero is rated at 239 miles, and you know if you've driven the other Neros, the the hybrid or plug-in hybrid, you know this one will be quite familiar to you, uh, but more so. Uh, you know it. You know, without without the engine in there, you have uh, the same 201 horsepower uh, electric motor that's in the Kona and in the in the Soul. Um, it's got the uh, you know it'll go zero to sixty in a little over seven seconds, which is plenty quick enough. And you know because of the the instant torque of an electric motor, you know around town it feels really zippy. Uh, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna win any drag races against a Tesla Model Y or you know or any other Tesla. Nobody's but, gonna win anything know. against a Model Y. It doesn't exist. I wasn't gonna go there. Sorry, but you know <laughs> just, just yes, here to poke holes in right. things for now. But even even a Model Three, um, you know yeah. and. 
you know, the, the thing, you know, Kia for the last two or three years in a row now has come out, you know, top of the rankings on the JD Power IQS survey, the initial quality survey. You know, so Kia vehicles are built really solid. And, you know, I spent several days driving this thing around uh, around California, around the, the Bay Area in California, picked it up, at, you know, from uh, from SFO, from San Francisco Airport, uh, drove up to Petaluma in, in the in the wine country uh, and then drove back down to the South Bay to San Jose for the conference I was attending and, you know, drove drove around, you know, took it to go to some meetings and everything. And, you know, it's it's a great little car. Uh you know, like I said, roomy enough, certainly for four adults, you know, um, you know, you can put three in the back seat as long as they're not too broad shouldered. Um, you've got, you know, there's enough cargo space in the back to fit four rollerboard bags, you know, on their sides in there. Um, you know, so, you, you know, it's good for good for a trip, um, you know, or easily carry all your groceries and everything. Um, you know, it supports DC fast charging up to 75 kilowatts. And, you know, I, I charged it up a couple times during my, my driving time. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, it filled up pretty quickly. Did you, cha- uh, so you so, use DC fast charging? Is that what you're? Yeah, yeah I, I, I used DC fast charging a couple of different times, uh, once on Sunday night before I headed back south to, um, to San Jose and then on, uh, on yesterday afternoon, uh, before heading back to the airport. And, you know, it's, it, Works great. Um, there's, you know, and I will. After we're done with this segment, I will go off on a little rant about that um, <laughs> that is unrelated to the Nero itself. Uh, but uh, you know, as a vehicle, this is this thing's really good. Uh, and you know, if you're looking for an affordable, um, you know, longer range battery electric vehicle, or a relatively affordable longer range battery electric vehicle. I mean. At a starting price, that's you know they haven't announced it yet, but it's probably going to be the same thirty-seven thousand five hundred as the Kona and the Bolt and and the long-range uh, version of the Leaf. Um, you know, it's you know it's a it's a great option, and you know if you were you know for those you know a lot of people I personally like the Bolt a lot too, uh, but a lot of people have complained about the seats in the Bolt uh, being a little too thin and too narrow. Um, I personally did not have an issue with it when I drove it a couple of different times. Uh, but if you don't like the seats in the Bolt, then, you know, you will probably be more comfortable in the Nero. And, you know, as I said, you know, if you want something a little more flashy, you know, that you have the Kona as an option. Uh, but if you need room, you know, for four adults, then, then the Nero is probably that sweet spot right in the middle there. And, you know, I... I like the I like the interior better I think than uh, the Leaf uh, the Leafs that I've driven, um, and you know it's got support for Android Auto and Apple CarPlay as all Kia and Hyundai vehicles do. Um, so just I'd say you know I have nothing really to complain about the the one I drove was the premium uh, trim level, which as I said they haven't announced the the full pricing yet, but it'll most likely be um, you know. Very close to the the, the trim wash for the, uh, the Kona, uh, which starts at thirty seven five and goes up to about forty five for the fully loaded, um, uh, print, you know, top trim level. And so this one will probably be about forty five, uh, which includes leather interior. Uh, even, even on the base thirty seven thousand dollar model, uh, you get a full suite of driver assist functions as standard equipment. So you get adaptive cruise control, lane keeping system that works really well blind spot monitoring that works really well 
um, you know, automatic emergency braking and forward collision alerts. Uh, you know, all of that stuff is standard, even on the base model. Uh, and then, you know, when you step up to the higher trim levels, you get things like leather seats. Um, heated front seats are standard on, on the base model. The upper trim level adds uh, cooled uh, front seats and a heated steering wheel as well as heated rear seats. Um, so, you know, it's, it comes, you know, this thing comes really well equipped and, uh, you know, if you're, and you still, it's still eligible for the full $7,500 federal tax credit. Um, Hyundai and Kia haven't yet sold enough plugins to start getting into the phase out period. So you've probably still got about another year to a year and a half before, you know, to get those with the full tax credit. Um, uh, and you know, so that brings the price down by, Seventy five hundred dollars, you know, uh, from the federal government plus another twenty five hundred if you live in California. There's other incentives in other states. The one downside to this <clears throat> is that um, Kia and the same goes for Hyundai as well with their EVs is only selling them in the in California and the other uh, ZEV states, the, the states that follow California's <clears throat> zero emission mandate. Right. So uh, there's about a dozen states where you can buy it. Uh, I mean, you can certainly go to California or, or Colorado or, you know, or many or of the, most of the states in the, yeah, most of the states <laughs> in the Northeast and buy one there and, and, you know, drive it back and register it somewhere else if you want. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, aside from that, you know, there's really not much to complain about with this thing. I, so I um, think, Sam, oh, do you, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, Sam, do you know why they're only selling it in the Zev states? Is that what they feel like that's yeah. where the demand I, is? I well, I asked James Bell about this okay. uh, back at LA when when they introduced it, and you know the explanation I got at the time. Uh, James is the uh, the head of uh, communications for Kia America. Um, the explanation that he gave me is that right now they are supply constrained on the okay. um, on the battery packs. Mm-hmm. And so there is more demand for these things right now in Europe and in mm-hmm. some other markets. And so, you know, they are fulfilling that demand and they're they're basically shipping as many as they need to here, you know, to meet their their regulatory requirements for the number of uh, zero emission vehicles they have to sell. Uh, and so, you know, because of the limited supply, that's why they're limiting uh, availability to those states. Are we sure that that's like... Not just kind of putting the best spin on the fact that like they they may only just want to sell just as many as they need to sell, and not well yeah I mean so I, I mean that's that's basically what I just said you know they're 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 bringing in the number that they need to you know they have to sell a certain percentage of, of plug-in vehicles and that's how many they're bringing in and then the rest are going to the other markets where. Where they can, you know, frankly, they can get a higher price right. for them well, and, and better margins. Yeah, I mean, I guess, well, Europe probably is a little, you know, a lot ahead of us in terms of EV adoption. It, it seems like that's something that they, they have kind of jumped into both, jumped into with both feet. But, I, yeah, I mean, I get the impression that some, some of the, like the saying, like, oh well, we're we're supply constrained. It's like, well, yeah, like on purpose, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> strategically, yeah. strategically supply constrained. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, overall, they are supply constrained on batteries. Yeah, I mean, that of that that is currently the limiting factor. Yeah, and I think if they could get more batteries, they would probably sell more of them. Certainly, sell more of them globally. Um, but you know, they would probably ship some more here as well. Yeah. EVs are this and hybrids too. Like they're in this interesting spot where, um, 
automakers have committed to them lar- in a larger degree than they they ever have before. But they're they're still on that cusp of if they get too popular, it's actually not great. It's not good, not good for their business right. because they're they're actually still at best breaking even, and and in most cases probably still losing money on them. Right. So it does wonders for their image when they can say yes, we we offer this EV and it it works because they're mandated to do it. And on the on the flip side, they they kind of like. It's not even begrudging. It's just the economics of the business. It, 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 like it hurts them, so they have to carefully sort of meter out supply. And, and um, it's interesting to watch what Hyundai and Kia are doing because they don't have um, pickup trucks to fall back on for their right. profit center, like Ford and GM and Ram. And yet, crazy, despite that, you know, between Hyundai and Kia, they are, they actually have more nameplates with plug-in capability than any other brand in the U.S. You know, for and at Hyundai, you've got the Ionic Electric, the Ionic Plug-in Hybrid, the um, Sonata Plug-in Hybrid, the Kona Electric. So that's that's four there. And then for Kia, you've got the Nero Electric, the Nero Plug-in Hybrid, the Soul Electric, and the Optima Plug-in Hybrid. So you've got eight different nameplates, you know, with variations of either plug-in hybrid or battery electric from the Hyundai Motor Group right now that are available in the U.S. market. I didn't realize they, they made that many. That's Yeah. Huh. Well, the things that we like about Kias are still things that we like about their EVs too, you know, the, all the, the easy-to-use tech and just sort of friendly size and good pricing and all that. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, good. I, I hope to get one of their EVs soon. I, I kind of hope I can get my way into a Soul EV because that uh, – <laughs> Yeah, I think those will be out later in the spring, um, and you know, and while you know, while I was in Petaluma, uh, you know, we shot a uh, a review video that's going to come up on uh, the Hands On Tech uh, podcast uh, feed uh, that's that's part of Twit uh, should be coming up in about two weeks or so, and I'll post it on the uh, on wheel bearings when we get it. Awesome, Sam. Sam, I know that yeah. we're going to get into the charging part of it a little yeah. late, later, but just a quick question. Do you have a high-speed charger at home or level 2? I do two? not. Okay. No, uh, but I, I am planning on, on getting one uh, installed. Uh, I've got a 220-volt circuit um, that's yeah. actually in in the basement room that's right adjacent to the garage, and mm. I'm going to get an electrician to run a run a line out to the garage and have one installed in the garage. Oh, where's the sport in that? You just you just get like a couple of pieces of lamp cord and wrap them around the dryer plug and shove it back in. It works. Yes, I will. I will be getting one as well, so it'll be fun to compare notes. Yeah, and you know the you know level two chargers have have become quite affordable in the last few years. I mean, you can you can get them for you know four you know four to six hundred dollars depending on which one you you get. Um, you know, and then depending on you know if you need to have an electrician come in and and run a two twenty volt line for you or two forty volt line for you, um, you know that can be another five hundred to a thousand dollars. I've al- I've already got that circuit there that's not Likewise. currently being used for anything. Yeah, you know because they used to have the the original owners of this, of this house had the uh, the laundry room down in the basement and it's now upstairs and so you know that circuit is there but it's not used. Um, so I'm going to put it to use. There you go. Cool. That's awesome. Is there, uh, oh, I guess maybe we don't want to get too far down there. I was just going to say, is there a used, um, market for level two chargers and that kind of stuff now? Or, 
Um, Does the tech not they're evolve pro- fast? They're, they're, they're probably. I mean, you can probably find some used ones, but you know the. You know the the charger itself. I mean, you can get level two chargers for as little as four hundred bucks, or, or even less in some cases. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, you can probably find a used one. Um, more likely, you're going to spend more on the electrician for doing to do the installation yeah. well, on the charger itself. And you know, if that's the case, um, you know, then you're going to end up. Um, you know, the the thing the thing is, you know, once you've installed a charger. You know, you can you know you you might buy multiple electric vehicles over your lifespan, but you only need to install the charger once, and then you can use it for every subsequent vehicle. Right. They have that lovely standardization thing happening. Yeah, as long as you don't drive a Tesla. Uh, we're gonna move <laughs> on now. <laughs> so while you were uh, being efficient, I got myself into a 2019 Ford Edge ST, um, and so this is the best. Edge I have ever driven. Uh, the, the ST folks did a really lovely job taking a perfectly capable family SUV that has some weird, awkward stuff to it and definitely is not the most graceful on the road. The, the Edge always feels a little clumsy to me. Uh, the ST does not. The ST is magnificent on the highway, <laughs> <laughs> especially with that Turbo V6, the the EcoBoost. I think it has. It's got like three hundred and sixty or three thirty. Oh, three thirty-five. And it's I got think. like three hundred and eighty yeah. foot pounds of torque. And uh, so that it's. I think it's the Nano. I don't think it's the three point five. I think it's the two point seven. No. Uh, it's the three. It's the three liter. Oh, it's the, it's it's the, the first three liter. It's in the middle. It's the it's the first Ford application of the three liter. Up until now, the three liter has been exclusive, right, that was only exclusive Lincoln. to Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's a great engine. It, it's good. It's the it's it's the engine that you're not allowed to call an EcoBoost in a Lincoln. Okay, so it's the non EcoBoost <laughs> EcoBoost three liter EcoBoost. Uh, <laughs> uh, but and it's paired with a new eight speed automatic that you know it's very well matched. The powertrain is is great, and it's got a sport mode in the ST that I don't think you have in the regular Edge. Uh, I think the ride height's a little lower. The suspension is definitely retuned. It's it's very disciplined. And that was the thing that I don't like about the um, the other edges I've, I've driven sort of forever is they just they feel kind of klutzy, you know, and, and they because they're tall, they have big wheels for the, the style. The edges always had big wheels, um, especially the sport. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the edge sport that is now discontinued because they have the ST had 22 inch wheels, yeah. which were just ridiculous. Oh, it was hilarious. The edge sport. <laughs> It came out. It had it looked all more more aggressive, and it had these these wheels that weighed like a hundred pounds per corner, and it was actually slower. And and ha- and had <laughs> tiny little brakes inside. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah none of that is uh, a problem here. Everything feels really good. It it goes down the road quite well. I mean, it's still it's it's a lot of vehicle. It's got quite a bit of mass, so it's not entirely in its element on a real windy back road. It'll. It'll do it and it'll hang in, but it's this is really your express lane cruiser. It, it's just great in that application, and the, the Ford ADAS is actually quite good in here. Um, it's I, I'm surprised by that. That's gotten really good in the last two or three years. It's 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 an upgraded version um, that they call Copilot 360. Yeah, it's really good. That <laughs> that uh, debuted last year on the Nautilus, 
And so now it's spreading out to, you know, other models in the lineup. Yeah. And uh, like, so unsurprisingly, this made me flash back to the Nautilus, which I also really, really liked. And it's the same thing, basically just two different takes on the, um, the same set of hardware. And so in either respect, uh, it's, it's really quite nice. And the, the edge, they've made it very quiet, very comfortable, it's it's a really good family vehicle. I still find some of the control relationships a little funky. I'm not not entirely. Uh, I guess I'm not the right shape for it. <laughs> <laughs> but it you know it's it's a great option. It has a you know decent cargo space. It's got good room in both rows. The second row seat look it, the the bottom cushion's a little low, so you you kind of you get your knees up a little bit with it. Um, the, the H point is kind of low, um, from my liking, but, uh, you know, and I did hear, um, I forget who it was, but I, I picked up that some folks with the edge, some, some car reviewers felt like the visibility out wasn't great. And I'm not sure, certainly to the rear, it's it, anything these days could be better because windows are tiny, but the view out the windshield, the windshield seems to come down to a lower cowl than I recall. So like, it just, it feels, you get a pretty good view at the front and it, it doesn't feel claustrophobic in that sense to, to me. And I'm kind of fun sized. So I'm surprised. <laughs> How is the A pillar? The A pillars there. It's large. Um, mm-hmm. it's, those are some of the things I think that we're not going to see go away on the edge until they completely redo the edge. This is, it's not the newest, platform Ford has. It's actually probably one of the oldest. I think it's actually based on the Ford EU CD. Mm. Um, uh, it's, no, it's, it's, it's based on the, uh, the CD4, uh, which is the, the current generation Fusion that debuted in 2013. And is that an evolution of the EU CD or is it like entirely? Uh, it's, no, I mean, there, there, are, there were some bits that evolved, but it's essentially, it was essentially a new platform. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they, they took something, you know, there were some elements that got carried over from the EU CD, but otherwise it's, it was a new platform. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's really, it's in terms of how it goes down the road and, and it just, it feels solid. It, it, uh, is, is well-disciplined in this trim level. Um, so I, I really like that. They, it's, they do talk about it being, you know, um, like a, a performance SUV with a track mentality is the quote I'm reading from the yeah. tag. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't know that I'd want this on a track. You get it out there like seven <laughs> tenths and it starts to feel a little bit nervous, like all edges do, because that's just, it's, it's what it is. Um, and you know, the fusion that, that it shares a platform with also is a, a really good driving car. It feels really solid. Um, the, the problem that they have with, with both of those, I think is, is mass. They're just, they're heavy. And when they redo it, <laughs> and get rid of the fusion <laughs> um they'll they'll slim them down you know like i think that that's what we're seeing in, in a pattern from all automakers is that the the stuff is is getting lighter as each new generation happens or yeah so you know the next go around this is going to move to ford's new front drive unibody architecture uh, which is going to be shared with the the new Escape that uh, is going to debut at the at the New York Auto Show next month, um, and I think when we see the Escape in a few in the next few weeks, um, I think we'll have a we'll have a better idea of how how successful they were in slimming down those pillars, you know, because that's going to be you know the 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 core architecture that is going to be used across all the 
the transverse engine vehicles. And I just looked up the uh, the ST actually does have the 2.7. It's the uh, it's the uh, Explorer ST that got the three liter. Oh, okay. Well, I I uh, no, that's the old Explorer then. The new the new Explorer, new Explorer. ST right okay has has the three liter uh, eco boost. Yes, please send uh, that one next. <laughs> yeah. So this, this one still has the two seven, but it's but it's an upgraded. Two seven. It's got more power than the last Edge Sport did. Yeah, no, that's an awesome engine. I I love mm-hmm. that engine and everything I I have tried it in. And uh, it's the the biggest issue I have with it is the price here. We're knocking on fifty thousand dollars. It's forty nine four thirty all in. That's that's a lot of mass. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of money for, for an for, inch. For, for, forty and forty five hundred pounds. So for the ST. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's 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 a big one. <laughs> um, you know, you, you do get stuff for your money. You know, I I can't I can't complain about the uh, the materials or the seat comfort or even the tech. The tech is good, and it, this is I can't say that it's not loaded. It really does have just about everything. It's got heated rear seats. It's got you know all of the features that make it family friendly and, and um, uh, the the Wi-Fi hotspot and all like so all of that stuff is is great. And then you add on something that actually goes down the road with a little bit of uh, verve. I, that's great if you can swing the payments on it. <laughs> it's just it's a it's, it's a lot of money. Um, and it's, so at that point, I was like, well, I'd buy the Lincoln because it's even comfier. Um, but. The, I think the Nautilus I had was the black label, so that's not a fair comparison either. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it the edge is. Uh, it, I don't. It's, I don't know that there's any other. Oh, well, I guess the Blazer now kind of does. It, I was gonna say there's not another domestic SUV that, or crossover that kind of fits this thing that that offers you that little bit of performance edge. You know, you you can certainly get like a um, a Passport um, or. Uh, yeah, except you know the passport, you know, doesn't really have you know it's got the same powertrain that's in the pilot, right? You know, so you're not you're not necessarily getting much more performance out of it. Um, so yeah, I mean the Blazer is probably the only kind of direct competitor right now. Yeah, and I, I haven't driven that one, so uh, yeah. when I do, we'll see. <laughs> but we have spent. 40 something minutes on cars. So we should move on to other cars. Okay. <laughs> um, so before we do that though. Yeah. You wanted to rant. rant. All right. This is, this yeah. is strange so, where I'm letting you rant. Usually it's the other way around. Yeah. Well, you know, um, while driving the, the, um, the Nero around in Northern California, uh, particularly, and this, this, I've had, I've experienced similar stuff in the past as well, but it, it was particularly annoying, uh, yesterday in San Jose, you know, because San Jose, Strangely enough, despite being in the middle of Silicon Valley, um, you know, the heart of Silicon Valley, there aren't actually a whole lot of public EV charging stations um, aside from a couple of supercharger stations or, or, or some Tesla destination chargers. You know, the rest of them, you know, there's not a whole lot around. And there's a, a Whole Foods store uh, just west of, of downtown that has an EVgo station, uh, you know, right on site. So there's five EVgo DC fast chargers there on site. And, uh, you know, the, when I got there uh, yesterday, the first time I got there, uh, I pulled up to one of these DC fast chargers, and I pulled up next to a Chevy Bolt that was sitting there parked there. 
and the the chargers are um, along the, along the one side of the store. There's the the handicap spots, and then right next to that are the EV charging uh, slots. And you pull in there. If you're if you're handicapped and you have a handicap plate, you have every right to pull in there, park right there, right by the door, and have easy access. If you own an EV, you do not have that right to just park in those parking spots that are right next to the building just because you drive an EV. Those parking spots are for people that actually want to charge their cars. If you're not charging your car, do not park there. Park somewhere else. And, you know, later when I came back, you know, for another top-up, um, you know, of the five slots that were there, um, two of them were occupied by cars that were not even plugged in. And that's just ridiculous. But they're in you the know, club, so they get the good parking. I, I don't care. <laughs> there's, a sign, there's a sign right there. When you pull in, there's a sign right in front of you. You can't miss it that says... These, these parking spaces are only for people that are charging their EVs. If you're not charging, do not park here. And, you know, so please be courteous to your fellow EV drivers. You know, if we want to encourage people, more people to drive EVs, we need to make the, the process, you know, the, of owning and operating an EV as frictionless as possible. Don't be a jackass and park in a, next to a charger just because you want to be next to the building. Unless you're actually going to be charging. Rant over. You know, I'm surprised that uh, you, well, maybe not because it's California, but you know, at least you didn't run into the, the guys that will drive like their diesel pickups and just block the chargers. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, yeah, I didn't experience any of that. I think, I think they focus more on the, uh, the superchargers. Yeah. They, they, they'll, they'll go do that at the superchargers, not... Not not at the the other stations where you know they're more generally more occupied by you know people driving more mainstream vehicles that aren't quite so pricey and and you know the owners are you know maybe a little a little bit less self righteous. Yeah, I mean you'll run into every flavor of jackass apparently. <laughs> yeah, um, that was a good one. All right, that's good. You're, you're welcome. Good good rant. Um, let's continue to rant. Uh, the Cadillac CT5. So I have opinions. And I have questions, but I want to hear what uh, you folks have to say. And Rebecca, you've been quiet for a while. Let's give you a, let's let's give you a prod. What do you think of the Cadillac CT5? Um, I barely even know. I can't. I can't keep track of their letters. I hate. <laughs> I, I can't even begin to tell you how much I just hate the alphanumeric. It drives me crazy. I, I mean, I guess. <sighs> Okay, so it's it's a lovely sedan. Great. What here's my own little rant. What will this do for the brand? I mean, Nothing. what will this you know? <laughs> well, for, everybody wants a Cadillac sedan with a greenhouse that looks well, like it's taken straight off a new Honda what, Accord. And what happened to the back end? What's up with this ass? Like what? <laughs> I ask myself that so often. <laughs> It's like that scene I, in Spaceballs. That's why you're not supposed to look in yeah. the mirror, Dan. No, it's, <laughs> maybe it, it's like that scene in Spaceballs where President Scrooge gets like turned around. He looks. Why didn't anybody tell me I'm ass? Anyway, um. So, so you know what? I'll tell you this. So, I, I've said this before, but it's just because that's something I'm very passionate about: being a good steward of the brand. And 
I, I, Steve Carlisle, the new CEO, is in for the last year or so. I, it's, I just, I want, I want the people at Cadillac to take care of the brand like the people at Jeep have taken care of the brand. Yeah. Where, you know, they're, they're true to what this, what this brand means and the iconic status of the brand. And I just, I, I don't, I don't even understand why this vehicle is necessary. What is this doing? Well, it's replacing the CTS. So naturally it's going to have CT5 as a badge because that won't be confusing at all. At um, all. <laughs> um, and I also think it, it it's all of the sedans, right? Is this oh, a, it's replacing the ATS and the CTS. And so they made the ATS and the CTS because the CTS was too small in its second generation. So they made the CTS larger and then they brought the ATS in. And then now they're going back to a car that's the eight, the size of the second gen CTS. I, so I'm a little confused there. Where is Goldilocks when you need her most? I mean, seriously. Um, but yeah, I mean, we and we, well, we did rant a good bit last week about sort of Cadillac's just overall brand. And I know, um, you know, the things I it, it is a good looking car, but there's missteps here that I don't I don't quite understand. Um, first, it's not a hatch, but it looks like a hatch and. The usability. Um, and why? Why isn't it a right? Hatch? I, I mean, you've got the. It, well, it, I mean, this this should be a competitor for the you know the Audi, uh, you know probably the A5 Sportback or the A7. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, it gives you something unique, or more mm-hmm. unique. I, I guess can you be more unique? Uh, it gives you something more distinctive <laughs> than just another sedan with a swoopy roofline. And the problem with the sedan with the swoopy roofline is the trunks are crappy. To use right. and you- well, actually, it's it, yeah, it, it's not so much that the trunk volume itself is usually bad, but the opening is too small to be. Yeah, useful. you can't get stuff in there. Um, yeah. And uh, the if you look closely, it looks great in pictures, but if you look closely at that C pillar, there's a giant hunk of plastic that makes up a fake quarter window. Oh, my gosh! And you're gonna see that in person, and that's gonna just like have a giant beacon on it. <laughs> You know, it's like, they've done a pretty good job keeping it toned down in the photos. But I think when you see it in the light of day, it's going to look a, yeah. a, a lot more uh, sort of in your face there. So, like, that's going to look cheap and it's going to turn gray and uh, just, you know, that that's a that's a misstep. Well, you know, in, in the Motor Trend article on the CT5, you know, they quote Steve Carlisle as saying, we're still very committed to sedans. People who buy sedans often do so deliberately. They are SUV rejectors. And actually, I, I agree with that. I mean, I personally am an SUV rejector sure. for the most part. But would right. you reject an SUV for that sedan? <laughs> Probably not. Right. Well, I don't know. It, you know, it depends on how it drives. I, yeah. And I, it's, that's not a problem for Cadillac. The driving experience is, yeah. is good. The cars yeah. drive well. Well, look, look, Rebecca, let me ask you, you know, you complained about the backside of this thing. What is it specifically about the back end of this car that bothers you so much? Uh, well, it's, I mean, it, it's, I, I never mind a slopey roof line. I like that. It's more that it's, it looks kind of heavy in the back. A little frumpy. Yeah, so it, yeah, certainly, especially in profile, I, I agree. It does. It looks like there's a big lump hanging off the back of this thing, and uh, you know, looking at the the picture of the uh, the red CT5 Premium that they published, you know, in profile, yeah, 
you know, it, it, it's certainly, it's kind of, I think it's exacerbated by the lighting in that particular photo. I don't think it's a, well, look it's at the, not, I mean, if you're not looking, a good image, right. If you're looking at the side, look at the difference in the overhangs in the front and the rear. The, yeah. the rear has such a long overhang. And I mean, I actually, I like the, in the front, I like the, the dash to axle proportion. It's very nice. It's a nice long front end. But then it's like somebody else took a pen to the back end. I, I'll be very interested to see it in New York. I think it'll be great to see it in person. I uh, And to see whether that plastic, what's happening there. I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. You know, you're trying, you're trying to keep, okay, so let's think about this. You're trying to keep the sedan alive. And so is this what sedan owners want? As, as you said, Dan, is this what SUV rejectors want? I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I'm not, yeah, uh, I don't, if it had some more, you know, they talk in 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 it's like software about the killer app, right? And it this car doesn't really have a killer app in that sense. There's there's nothing that would make you buy this because you got to have what it does versus stuff that's already in the same segment that uh, is more, you know. The Cadillac's been chasing, you know, like like Sam talked right. about the Audi. Uh, BMW is they don't really offer. Have they? They've killed the five series GT and they're killing the three series GT. So, well, they they replaced the five with the six series GT. So. Yeah, is that a hatch though? Break? I can't remember. Yeah, it's, it is. Uh, yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's. It's not like there isn't precedent for that, and it it just it would. It, it would also connect with that. You know, that that audience that you really need to impress with the Cadillac, which is the woman who is looking for a luxury car for whatever reason. But it also like it, it can't just be a dude thing and like have all the numbers on paper. It's got to have the cup holders. It's got to have the, the hatch where you can put stuff in it. It's got to be easy to use. It's got to be, you know, friendly. And I I don't know that this is going to do it because it seems like they've forgotten that people use their cars and they don't just look at them <laughs> and like, well, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, like the Audi a seven yeah. has right. Beautiful long lines and it's a hatch. It, it's, I remember I had that car when I was moving and it was a local move. So I was just bringing back boxes back and forth. I was like, this is the most elegant moving van I've ever had in my <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I gotta tell you that thing. I mean, I hauled a ton of stuff in that thing and it was just beautiful. And, you know, again, like Cadillacs should be known for their beauty. They should be known for this aesthetic that I'm, and again, I, I'm, I will be very interested to see it in New York because it may look better, you, you know, um, it, it may look better in, in person. May. I hope so. I mean, certainly, you know, like looking at the three quarter shot, the back is not as bad. I mean, aside from that, <laughs> uh, that C pillar blank, because, well, because it, it, it tends to taper in a little bit. So it de-emphasizes that that rear overhang, you know, when you look at the three quarter angle, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's that the profile is the the worst angle. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, mostly, I think I'm frustrated with Cadillac for bringing out another sedan at a time when all of their other sedans are just under underperforming sales wise. When really what they need to do is is focus on that crossover lineup that they've got. You know, they have the XT5, they they have the XT4 and the XT6 is coming. You know, those those are that covers a broad spectrum there and that's really like you you got to make sure that people know those exist and they want to buy them and they are an alternative to the top sellers in the class. I I I mean I can't it boggles my mind that that Lincoln that we we thought was going to be left for dead um <laughs> has figured this out and they said yeah you know what um we're we're just going to kind of like do a Lincoln thing but we're we're also going to use maybe the Lexus RX as a sort of a benchmark um for what we should be doing like that's what we want to do for people not necessarily uh be the next X5 like we don't need to right. we don't need to do that um and that seems to be working i mean they've gotten a lot of really positive impressions the product is good um you know i i i think if i were to to try out the xt5 i'd just have a lot of little niggles and not the xt5 the uh, the 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 this thing what that what that the ct5 the ct5 <laughs> jesus see um well you'd probably have niggles about the xt5 i probably too. would uh and and like that's the thing like at that level you've you got to make the thing that doesn't it, – it, it can't do that. It, it can't have niggles and, and make it up with the driving experience. Like if you're Mercedes or BMW or Audi, you probably can. But you can't if you're Cadillac. It just has to knock it out of the park and delight people. And the dealers have to do that too. And I yeah, – I'm I, some dealers are really good. <laughs> some <Right>. are not. <laughs> um, but I know consistently like being very picky about their brands – uh, the German, I did car ads for, for years for like local dealers, but we had to send everything mm. off for, for approval for co-op. And the Germans were very, very picky about their brands. And, um, they would, they would deny stuff or ask us for changes because we weren't representing the brand in the right way. And that pays off. And I have not seen Cadillac be that picky about their brand ever. And you know, that's, that's what got us Cimarron's and, Terras and confusion, yeah. you know, like, uh, all right. I'm, Who I'm, are I'm you? done ramp, ranting now. I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> Although we could, we could talk about, um, the, the Porsche Taycan. Did I get it right? Yeah. Yes. We could, that'll, that'll make me rant again. Actually it won't. Um, but yeah, they, they tease that too. And that's the, the electric Porsche, uh, the first electric yeah. Porsche, um, that I really, I, think it looks great and it probably heralds the future of all Porsches, but maybe I'm off base with that. No, I, I think you're right. You know, I, I think, you know, one thing, you know, from these teaser images that they, that they got is that they, they seem to have toned down the front end design quite a bit from the, um, from the mission E mm. and it's more like a Panamera. Although I'm not a hundred percent convinced that this is, exactly representative of what the production car is going to look like because if you look at the the shot um of the of the front you know the front end the front quarter shot uh you know right below the left front headlight there is a slot there you know and you, you look at the mission e you know it had those 
those that that slot that wrapped around the headlamp cluster and down you know and into the lower front fascia you know which kind of gives it a lot of character and i wouldn't frankly wouldn't be surprised if what we're seeing here actually still has like some some pieces of camo on here blanking off some of of what it's actually going to look like and you know the, the fact that there is that slot there kind of indicates that maybe that that uh, that look from the Mission E may or may at least partially get preserved on the production model. I think what's most interesting is their battery too, where it's an 800 volt battery, and they say you can, can top it top it up with a good amount of range in 15 minutes. That's uh, to me that's interesting because that seems really quick. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be the. F- It'll be the first production model to support 350 kilowatt charging. That's even faster than the Audi e-tron, I think. Yeah, the e-tron is limited to 150 kilowatts. Yeah. And, uh, and this this one will support uh, 350. And this this whole platform, this um, the PPE platform uh, that's being developed by uh, Porsche and Audi, um, this this is what will underpin the e-tron gt mm. uh the production version right. of the e-tron gt so it'll have that 800 volt so what we're what we're going to see is this bifurcation you know some of the the lower end lower to mid-range models will will continue with 400 volt electrical systems um and then the higher end versions will uh, adopt this 800 volt architecture um you know that's you know it's going to be a little pricier but it'll it's it'll be more efficient and uh and have much faster charging capability I'm, well and at only 15 minutes, you may not even have special parking to rant about in a few years. <laughs> I, I certainly hope so. I, you know, it's just it's one of those things like, oh, it's pricier. It's, it's a Porsche. Somebody's going to pay it. And um, the, the, the parking, <coughs> I, don't, I don't think that's going to matter as much because everybody's going to get out of the way of the person I, you, because don't you know who I am? Well, yeah. and also when you think about, I mean, we're talking about rejectors. This is a classic Tesla rejector vehicle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, right. I think that that's what we're we're going to start to see now is uh, Porsche, especially, but even that um, Piac car that makes mm-hmm. some bonkers claims uh, that I, I really <laughs> want to see what they're going to actually deliver. Um, we're going to have more and more really exclusive, uh, well-respected nameplates having cars that compete directly with Tesla, and I don't know if they're going to necessarily take the shine off Tesla. But I I think that some of the experience of Tesla ownership that frustrates people is going to do that for Tesla. Um, Well, just just to give you a a little example of the frustration of being a Tesla owner, um, somebody that I had a meeting with earlier this week, uh, he got uh, a Tesla Model 3 last October. And um, his license plate on the car is needs QA. <laughs> um, he, he, he added up the, the total days he's owned the car and how many days it's been in the shop. He, at the, at, when I talked to him earlier this week, he'd had it for 151 days. It had been in the shop for 100 of those days. Oh, and he's about ready to invoke the, the California lemon law on that one. That's not right. That's yeah. not right. Well, it'll be very interesting to see how these EVs develop. I think that I, you know, my experience with the Audi e-tron, as I've said many times, was just, I just loved how normal it was. 
I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was compromising on anything. And I, and I, I did feel like that. I realized it's a different price point, but I did feel like that in the Bolt where I wanted to feel like I was driving the future and I didn't feel like that. Um, and I, but in the e-tron, I did feel like I was, I, I was driving some pretty, pretty spectacular technology. Yeah, I think that Porsche, even their internal combustion cars feel pretty special. Anyway, yes, so for sure. I, I think that they're, yeah, they're going to deliver and that they're very good at yeah. it. So, um, I, I'm, I'm most interested in just seeing how popular it is and then what it does to the, the 911. Um, because it, it's, a, it's distinctive. It still has that portion-ness, but, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, we're, I think, you know, we're, where the Taycan, I think, is going to uh, take a bite out of sales, perhaps, is actually the Panamera. Yeah, I, I, I I'm kind of focusing on just like Cause I, I, yeah, because I, th- I think you know, I think 911 owners are you know they're going to want a 911. Yeah, they're separate. They're different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's the it's the Panamera customer that is more likely to you know say, hey, I like this. I'm going to get one of these. Yes, I I would agree with that assessment. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess I was just thinking, you know, the how the the look influences it because the 911 has such a long shadow right it's it's just it came out in what 64 and it it just it it hasn't really like that shape has been iconic porsche um and so do they bring influences of their sort of next greatest thing you know 60 years later (laughs) um and and start to move that across the range. I I don't I don't know. Um and, and maybe I kind of doubt it. Like I see certainly they've they've got the family look in there. So, um, well I think you know I think with the second generation Panamera they did they actually did start to do some they did of that. yeah you know they they brought some of that classic 911 profile you know into this four door sedan yeah because the Panamera and, was you know, the, ugly. Yeah. <laughs> There's a classic well, I mean, you, Lyle Lovett song. She was ugly from the front. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. And I'm sure it was. But it had a lot of headroom in the yeah, back seat. Yeah, of course. You know, enough for a six like foot four nine CEO. feet tall. I, yeah. I, I yeah. actually, I love the Panamera because I remember I had it on the test track and then I had forgotten something and I got to drive it to Target that afternoon and i just loved oh. that it sounds like yes yeah, so i see all the panamaras in the target park um but yeah I mean, it's i'm sure it drove lovely and you know hey around here you know when when i'm out and about you see you know pretty much anything in the target park That's, yeah exactly have you seen you know, the, i've had i've had an nsx in the target park have, have you seen the ram trx or whatever out uh the t-rex uh, the t-rex no, not I yet i haven't seen one on the road yet oh. They're getting snagged, apparently, getting uh, spy shots. So didn't know if you glimpsed one. Um, so I, there'll be more about the Taycan. Like, that's going to actually – like, it'll happen. It'll be on schedule. Uh, <laughs> they'll make deliveries. And there's not going to be drama. You know, no. this what I love about the, the Taycan too is – and it's just – you can just go to the dealership and buy one. It's not going to be this hysteria. Yeah. You're not going to have, you know, this – a long wait or anything you know crazy but i just it's a it's a drama free purchase well, we we should know like you you'll have to wait for next year's model apparently it's all sold out for sure. the first year so um but yeah you, you 
stand a pretty pretty decent chance of actually getting it when they say you're going to yes. get it. <laughs> um, they they're pretty good at making cars. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um so all right, um Sam, you I think the last thing on our list here is is um your talk with Henrik Fischer and their new electric SUV that they teased. Yeah, so um you know, I wrote a story on Monday um you know, Fisker announced uh, basically, you know, that they're changing up their product plan a little bit, and they they released a teaser photo of what is now going to be their first product. Last year at CES, we saw the eMotion concept, which was supposed to come out in production form in 2020 at the you know, which is what they said at the time, and frankly, nobody believed them um, for good reason. <laughs> and so now that the the eMotion is still coming uh, at some indeterminate future date. Uh, when the solid state batteries are ready, uh, but for for now, you know they are taking a more pragmatic approach. And you know, I talked to uh, to Henrik earlier today, um, and you know they they seem to have learned a lot of. He, he seems to have learned a lot of the lessons of his previous venture, um, and is now integrating those uh, into this. So why don't we go ahead and run the interview, and then uh, we'll come back. And I've got I've got some questions uh, for the two of you, uh, particularly Rebecca. All right. Um, here with Henrik Fisker today, um, and this week um, you announced uh, a new product uh, from your your new company, uh, Fisker Incorporated. Uh, last year you you showed off uh, the eMotion concept at CES in 2018, and now this week you've shown off a new uh, SUV, which is now actually going to be your first product um, to market, hopefully, um, and we'll get to get around to that in a minute. But can you you know can you Give me a little bit of a background. You know, what is what is your overall vision and strategy for what your new company, Fisker Incorporated, is is going to be? Well, when we set up Fisker Inc. in 2016, our you know my vision for the company and, and our business strategy is really to kind of reinvent uh, you know the actual business model for a car company, a modern car company, and. Being, you know, starting from a clean sheet of paper, we, we really had the opportunity to do that. So, and obviously, with the experience I've had of starting a car company once before, uh, we want to take I want to take some of that experience, bring it into this new venture we started in 2016. And and the vision, obviously, long term is to have a range of vehicles. One uh, uh, really on two platforms. One platform which is very affordable. Uh, high volume and the other a very unique high tech platform. So at this point, we're not really going in sort of the mid segment. Uh, we started out with the emotion really to sort of launch the company, and uh, we had originally um, planned to put in uh, standard battery technology in that vehicle and then uh, migrate into uh, solid state battery technology. But as we uh, started our lab here at, at our HQ and, and start building the solid-state battery cells, we actually realized that we would be able to put those solid-state battery cells quicker into the emotion than we thought. And we had to make a business decision, which was, do we really want to invest in tooling for the standard batteries, which may then be kind of out of date only a few years later, so we decided actually to rather wait for the emotion and wait for the solid state batteries and pair those two launchers together. 
Um, so that was the reason for waiting with the emotion. The other reason uh, uh, of going with the, the high volume platform is also when we looked at our business case together with uh, obviously also think, thinking about our investors really is how fast can we get up and become a well-oiled machine car company and I think that's one of the biggest issues being a startup company and I think you can even look at, at Tesla today where you are, are they really a well-oiled machine that can fund their own future product lines I guess that's still a question and looking at that we just uh, looked at our business model and felt that it was important for us uh, to as soon as possible uh, be able to fund our own development via our sales and profit margin or profits on, from the sales. And obviously, uh, again, the high-end high car, luxury car, is not going to give us enough revenue and profit to fund you know, ongoing volume models and development. So therefore, we decided to start with the volume vehicles. So that's kind of the fundamental. Now, we haven't revealed how we're going to do a high-volume platform, but Part of it is by sharing supply chain with uh, uh, an, another another company, which allows us to get high volume pricing for a lot of the parts we're using in the vehicle. Have you identified who that company is? I and mean, obviously, you haven't announced it. But do you do you know? Uh, have, have you have you established that relationship with with whoever that partner is going to be yet? Yes, we have. We already established that last year, and we already have a, a, an agreement with them. Okay. Um, are are you when when do you think you'll be able to say who that partner is going to be? Well, I don't know that that's important for people who's buying the vehicle necessarily. Uh, who that partner is It's obviously an exciting thing to know, but uh, we'll probably announce that, or it'll at least be public knowledge probably later this year. Um, but at this point in time, you know. For competitive reasons, uh, we don't think that's that's necessarily uh, important uh, for us to uh, sort of give away. Uh, but it definitely is a different way of uh, starting a car company and 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 working on on sort of the business model side, uh, which gives us, I think, big advantage uh, over anybody else who's starting out uh, from from the beginning developing vehicles. And I've done it before, and I know how expensive it is if you're starting out by yourself. And obviously one of the advantages some of the established car makers have is that they already have a giant supply chain and they're able to get volume pricing. So I think that's that's an advantage we will have over the other startup competitors at least. And then the second part is, of course, we, are, we also have a different retail and service strategy than anybody else have so far. Uh, and it's not just about selling direct, which we will do, but uh, also our service strategy is quite different uh, than anybody else have, which is a service franchise strategy, which we have also talked with some several partners about, uh, which we'll also announce probably not before next year, uh, which gives us, I think, an advantage both in terms of the cost of service, both to us when it's under warranty, as well as cost of service when the consumer later have to pay for it when it's out of warranty, it will be lower. Um, and uh, also to actually set this entire uh, system in motion is a lot lower cost uh, as we will not be building, you know, physical service centers as they already exist. Uh, so we will create training programs for these service centers, which is a uh, uh, lot less cost than actually building physical service centers. That, that's 
that's a, that's an interesting approach. Uh, just not not franchising the the retail side of it, but just the service side of it. Who um, who do you see as being the potential franchisees? You know, would it be existing car dealers that sell other brands? You know, just buying a service franchise for Fisker um, or um, third party uh, independent service outlets, or or, com- or a mix of both, or whoever you know, whoever wants to sign up. Well, I think in the beginning we're seeing it being uh, a really independent existing service groups uh, that are not necessarily car dealers. Um, and we have also talked to some of the bigger service groups that uh, obviously owns uh, a lot of service centers. And the reason they're interested because we would give them a general training in how to service electric vehicles generally. And the advantage for them is that they now get training and service all kind of electric vehicles uh, that are out of warranty. And the advantage for us is that we don't have to give them all the work uh, they need to uh, be profitable because that's another issue you have as a startup. And, and you can kind of see it, I guess, with Tesla as well, that it's hard to to have enough service centers available while you're scaling up your volume. Because on one hand, you can't have people sitting waiting for, for, for people to bring in vehicles. On the other hand, when you're scaling up, you suddenly are jammed with you know too many people who need service and you can't offer to them. So I think the solution with service franchise gives us the possibility for us to actually have much more service centers than the amount of vehicles we will sell in the beginning. Yeah, and you know, as you, you referenced uh, Tesla a moment ago, I mean that that has been one of their their real um, pain points over the last year or so as they have started to ramp up volume is providing um, good service to their customers when you know when there's a problem with the vehicle, um, you know they don't have enough physical locations um, and and problems with delivery of parts. So yeah, this, this sounds like a actually a, a very interesting approach to the problem of how to provide customer service. Um, is, is that... Uh, Sam, I just want to ask, I just want to add one thing. It gives us one other advantage too, and that is we can actually therefore sell and service our vehicles, for instance, in Texas, where, uh, you know, their issues has been that, that if you're, if you sell direct, you mm-hmm. cannot, uh, you know, service the cars as an OEM, but by you know, making a service franchise, we connect about vehicle service in every single state. Yeah, and I think you know that that potentially um, you know might um, reduce some of the resistance that you might have even from established uh, franchise dealers. You know, in states where you where manufacturers currently can't sell, like for example here in Michigan. Um, you know, if they if they know that there's you know potentially an opportunity. To um, you know, to get a franchise on the on the service side at some point, um, then they may be more or less res- less resistant to uh, to your retail sales approach, um, especially if it's if it's yeah. incremental revenue for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when when you launch, um, you know, the current plan is to launch in the latter half of 2021 uh, with this SUV. Um, uh, where 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 are you going to launch? Is it going to be just in the U.S. at first, or do you plan? Or you know, what's what's your plan as far as a global launch? Well, you know, like any car maker, even a very large established car maker, you always launch the vehicle in the home market first. So we will obviously launch it here in the U.S. first, and then we will 
start launching slowly in the rest of the world and probably starting with uh, Europe and China is, is the two first largest markets for, for electric vehicles. Um, and then from there on spread out. But we will make both right-hand and left-hand drive vehicles as well. Um, and, you know, we already, by the way, this vehicle already has been in development since last year, obviously. Um, so we, we expect that, uh, uh, that we, and, and it's also going to be certified for worldwide uh, use. So we will sell it worldwide eventually, but it will start here in the U.S. Okay. So um, coming back around to the, the manufacturing uh, part of this uh, for a moment, um, you know, you, you talked earlier about uh, sharing components um, with, with a partner uh, at the recent Geneva Motor Show. You know, Volkswagen uh, talked extensively about um, offering to provide their MEB platform to other companies that, you know, wanted to build perhaps lower volume uh, vehicles and put their own uh, top hat on there. Rivian, has, you know, another startup has talked about sharing their skateboard platform with other companies. Um, you know, and I think, you know, that, the the, elect, the pure electric vehicle architecture around you know the kind of the skateboard architecture you know definitely lends itself to enabling this kinds of component sharing um, for actual you know assembly of the vehicle um, of your vehicles is that something you plan to do in your own facilities or is that something that you would also work with your partners or perhaps with some other partner to do the vehicle assembly. At this point, our plan is to assemble ourselves here in the U.S., and we actually are talking already to uh, several states here in the U.S., um, and, and I've already uh, looked at facilities. We've already uh, been uh, uh, having quotes from suppliers about supplying all the tools, paint booths, everything we need. And uh, to, to fit in with our timing, one of the important things for us is that we will move existing facility. It doesn't have to be an old automotive plant, but an existing facility. I mean, it could be an auto plant, as there's several for sales there as well. Um, and we would need to, if we move into an existing facility that doesn't have a paint booth, we would have to uh, get in that facility and, and start doing that work within the next three to four months to fit the timing. Um, there is also, we have been approached by uh, uh, one group on Contract manufacturing is something that we're we're looking at, but I think uh, right now our main focus is going to be on on getting our own plant, as it also allows us. You know, I I have done contract manufacturing before, and and there are certain advantages, but also disadvantages. Disadvantages is that you can't go in and make adjustments to the assembly line when you come up with great ideas about how to take cost out or how to improve the quality or whatever it might be because it's not your line. Hmm. So that's the negative part. Of course, the positive part is that you don't have as much of an upfront investment uh, as you do with your own plant. So at this point, we're looking more at our own plant also because we are planned, planning two additional vehicles on this platform. And then obviously we are planning uh, the, uh, the uh, more expensive vehicles as well, which we would like to manufacture in the same plant, which means you need some uh, uh, some some level of flexibility in the plant to be able to do that. Yeah, and as you alluded to, there's obviously a significant uh, capital investment required to do your own plant. Um, you know, do you do you have financing in place? Do you have the capital in place to get started down that path, or are you going to have to raise more capital? Well. 
when you're in a startup uh, company, and, and I think you can you can look even at Tesla as making money, you're going to need money for a very, or, or I would say not making money, but making cars. Uh, you know, you're going to need money for a very long time. So I think until we are in production in 2021, uh, we're probably still going to need money, and we'll probably go out and raise money again. Uh, but we have what we need right now to move to the next level. Uh, but eventually, we're we're going to need uh, cash uh, as well before we are fully in production. That's for sure, uh, and I think that's just the nature of being in, in a very capital-intensive business. I don't think there's any startup out there that is fully financed until they reach production. Uh, it's just it's most likely not possible. Right. So, um, going back to technology for a bit, um, you know the the solid state batteries that uh, you talked about when you when you debuted the uh, emotion concept. Um, what's you know what's what's the state of development on that? You know if you can if you can say and you know what kind of timeline do you potentially see uh, for actually bringing those to production and and what sort of issues have you encountered with the development of those batteries? So. First, we, are, we have built an in-house lab, uh, which is here at our HQ in, in LA, and we are building in that lab about 20 cells a week, uh, which we use for testing and we're using right now to modify. And one of the biggest challenges that we have is uh, really engineering, is really manufacturing engineering of that cell, meaning uh, there's a difference between building, obviously, a cell by hand mm-hmm. and then, you know, making a cell that can be reproduced in the millions very fast. Um, so that's really where we're spending uh, our efforts mainly on right now. Uh, there's some other adjustments uh, with, with the chemistry and other things in itself, but fundamentally, we have... Uh, Proved to ourselves and our partners that this technology is working. Uh, the cells we're building right now have about 400 watt hours per kilo energy density, which actually I haven't mentioned anywhere, so you're the first to hear that. Um, and I would say it's the best lithium ion cells today have about 235 uh, in that range. Uh, so we are almost double the energy density in these initial cells, and we expect we can go higher than that. Obviously, it's uh, it's a balance between how much cycle life do you want, meaning how long is this these cells lasting. So those are the type of things we're working on right now. Um, in terms of timing, uh, what we are doing uh, this year is we are first uh, delivering some cells uh, uh, to some groups that are making consumer electronics to kind of have them tested because. It's a little easier to put, you know, we just need one cell in some sort of consumer electronic device. Um, and also, there's, it's just a little less testing that goes on for those type of devices. When you think about the automotive industry, uh, the type of tough testing we have to go through, it just simply takes longer. Uh, now, there's two paths to bring this to market. One is sort of traditional path where you're putting into a high-volume vehicle is ultimately you want. But this path just simply takes very long. And the reason is that the cells that we, let's say, if you think about the battery pack anybody wants to put in a car that comes out in 2021, 
that technology has to be verified today, mm-hmm. today as we speak, because we are already going to start putting that battery pack into test uh, testing now, and it needs to be verified, and it's going to go into our test vehicles that is running testing already uh, uh, end of this year and beginning of next year. So therefore, you cannot make a decision to put uh, solid-state battery technology into a vehicle, a high-volume vehicle in 2021. However, that said, one of the plans we have, if all goes well, and again, it's a plan because we know we're innovating and creating things that nobody's ever done before, even down to some of the machinery we're doing because they simply don't exist. So if all goes well, what we're planning to do, and if all goes well this year with our initial testing of the cells, we're planning to put up a small pilot line next year. And that pilot line should be able to make enough cells, first of all, to put uh, to make a full uh, vehicle battery packs that we can put into vehicles and test in vehicles. And it should also be enough to maybe uh, potentially produce some low-volume battery packs, meaning in, in, a, in a low volume that we could put into, for instance, a vehicle like the Emotion, but it will be very low volume in the hundreds or mm. maybe in the thousands. It all depends uh, if we can solve some of the manufacturing uh, challenges that we have. And so, so that's why it's a little hard to say when is this coming out. Now, could we also put some of those battery packs into our SUV? Potentially, and maybe we just release a small number of SUVs with a solid-state battery pack. That's also a possibility. Those are things that, at this point in time, is a little too early to confirm 100% where that will be going because we still have to solve a few technical things. But so far, we're building the sales. The technology works, and we're planning a pilot line next year, and that's kind of as much as I can say firm, firmly an exact launch date it could be earlier, it could be later, but it's a little hard to say. When you when you do get to volume production, is that something, you know, because this is a product that you've developed internally, a technology you've developed internally, is that something that you would want to mass manufacture internally or something that you would potentially partner with uh, with an existing cell supplier uh you know, and license your technology to them to actually ramp up volume production. Yeah, so we have talked already to a few large groups, chemical groups, not even actually cell manufacturers. Uh, and, and the reason, just to kind of say that first, is that most of the big companies today that make lithium-ion batteries, so they have invested billions in this technology, and they're not really interested in having a new game-changing technology comes to market in the next two or three years because then they don't get their money back right. and all their investments. So, therefore, we have talked to groups who are currently not manufacturing battery cells, and uh, uh, most likely you would end up either doing a joint venture or licensing out the technology. However, we will only make this battery available to partners of Fister because obviously it's a big competitive advantage, so we're not going to randomly sell this battery cell to our competitors, obviously, and so initially it will be us and our partners and some of the investor partners and Fisker that will have access to them. I mean, it's public that, you know, Caterpillar is an investor in Fisker, so 
they would obviously get access to it when we were ready. And so will uh, some of our other partners, but they're not public yet. Um, so that's, and the reason is that would be a huge competitive advantage because of the energy density, but also because with that high energy density, you're looking at a price per kilowatt hour, which is about half of today's cost. So they will lend themselves really well, this technology, to high volume at lower cost vehicles because you also have cost advantage. And then, of course, you've got the safety advantage because they're not really flammable because they're solid. Right. All right. So one, one last uh, area I want to get into before I let you go is automated driving. Uh, when you showed the emotion last year, uh, you know, you prominently uh, featured, you know, it's automated driving capabilities and you had uh, Quantergy as a technology partner there with their LiDAR sensors. Are you planning to incorporate uh, any of this tech into your your volume products that you're going to launch first, like the SUV? Um, and and how far do you plan to go uh, with automation capabilities in some of those early models? So, listen, my view on, on self-driving and, and sort of the autonomous vehicle is that I, I think there's a lot of hype around that technology, and it's extremely expensive to develop it. Uh, I actually think privately owned vehicles would probably be the last to have a sure fully autonomous vehicles. Uh, we are working with partners on this, on, on any of the autonomous features, because we simply do not have the financial capability ourselves to develop all this in-house, and that's also why we partnered up with Quantity when we showed the solid-state LiDAR, which, by the way, it's still not ready, so you know we, we thought it was going to be ready earlier, and I think a lot of people generally in the industry thought a lot of these technologies would be happening quicker than they really have, and I think uh, we have access to a lot of suppliers and talking to a lot of suppliers, and we can see there's a little difference between what's out in the press and what's actually happened behind the curtain, and I think uh, the, the, the full self-driving vehicles level five for privately owned vehicles could be very, very, very far away, uh, much further than I think people think. So in my view, the, the, the important thing here for us is that we want to be wherever the general level of that technology is and what's available, and that's what we're going to have in our SUV, and we are, we are relying on partners for that. So we are not going to go out and claim we're going to be ahead of anybody else when it comes to our high-volume vehicle. With the emotion... Uh, we had talked to some partners like Quantity and others that believe we could get it to a certain level. Whether we still can do that at the time when we, we launched the vehicle, uh, I don't know because this is not our area of expertise, and I'm very upfront with that. Um, we have also developed a uh, um, autonomous shuttle, the Orbit, which we have fully in, pretty much fully engineered, but we have not seen the interest we initially thought uh, in terms of you know, getting together and actually getting this vehicle out on the streets and testing it and spending the money on it. So it's another project where we obviously wanted to go ahead with it as quick as we could, but we're seeing that some of the technologies are lacking a little behind and some of the uh, interest in terms of spending the money on actually doing these tests are lacking. Uh, we have a lot of interest on that shuttle, by the way, from airports and a whole bunch of other groups that want to buy it. But we're going to need some partners to develop the, the autonomous side of it and get it out and testing it. So for me, autonomous in, in terms of what we're doing at Fisker, it, it's yeah, we will we will be there with whatever is you know uh, a state of the art. But we're we're not 
pretending we're going to get ahead in that area. And I honestly don't think that for what we are doing, it's going to really matter that that, that, that even not trying to sell us and our, our vehicles and being better in autonomy than anybody else. Uh, for me, the biggest revolution is going to happen in the next five years is electrification by far. And that's why I think you're going to see the biggest changes in the, in the market. I, I agree with you on that, and uh, it sounds like um, you you definitely take to heart a lot of the the painful lessons learned in some of your prior endeavors, and uh, it sounds like the the plan you've got for for uh, for Fisker Inc. Uh, it sounds sounds very um, pragmatic and, and reasonable, and uh, I wish you the best of luck, Henrik. Um, it's it's been great talking to you, and, and thank you so much for your time. Good to talk to you, too, Sam. All right. Take care. All right. So that was Henrik Fisker, um, CEO and chairman of Fisker Incorporated, which is a completely different company from Fisker Automotive, uh, which is the company that built the Karma originally and went bankrupt and eventually was uh, the assets were acquired by uh, Wang Shang Group uh, out of China. And they have been continuing to churn out a small handful of of uh, updated, slightly updated karmas from the the leftover body shells that you know were sitting around when they uh, when they went bankrupt in in 2013. Um, so, Rebecca, the question I've got for you is, you know, the the retail strategy. I asked Henrik mm-hmm. about you know how they're how they're going to sell these things, sell and service these things, and um, you know what he said was that they are you know. The, they're going to sell direct to cons- or direct to consumers, uh, you know, online sales, much like what uh, Tesla is doing right now. Where they really differ, though, is the whole service side of the thing, in that they're not going to rather than setting up their own network of service centers, which obviously takes a huge capital investment to do that, and leasing the real estate and everything else. Sure, they're actually going to sell franchises for Fisker Service, hmm. so. So, um, you know, service outlets, you know, like uh, various chains of service locations, um, you know, will be able to buy uh, a Fisker service franchise and then they'll get training and equipment from from Fisker, you know, all the things they need to know to service these things. And the goal is to have a very broad based, you know, national network, um, which, you know, one of the issues with Tesla is limited access to service centers. You know, they, there's a lot of places where they can't operate at all. Um, and so, you know, because they're not doing the, the retailing through these things, they're only doing service. You know, these, um, these, ser- uh, these service locations, you know, won't have the problem of dealing with the dealer franchise laws because they're only doing service. Right. What do you what do you think about that approach? I think it's really clever. You know, uh, it, it's interesting. And uh, when I was in India, I went to the local Hyundai dealer. It was actually a Hyundai, a Volvo, and a Jaguar Land Rover. And their service, they, they actually don't do any service at the dealership. Their service is at a different location. Uh, and it, it's they did it, it in the area where they were. Uh, I think it's called Newtown. Uh, they they did it because the it's like an environmentally free area or like a low impact area. So they built their service stations and, and service areas um, in some other location. It kind of reminds me of that, where you know you you do get to skirt the franchise laws. 
Um, it's I think it's a really brilliant strategy, potentially. I mean, I think that Tesla could have benefited from that strategy, actually. <laughs> oh, but but you know, te- Tesla has to do everything themselves. Yes, of course uh, they do. Yeah. Now, and, oh, go ahead. Well, you do. You know, there's always that sort of folklore of, of yes, but you know, if you're at the dealership, maybe you go in and you know see some of the new cars and stuff while your car is getting serviced, this and that. But I don't think that that's enough of a reason to keep the two tied together when you have the benefit of of skirting the franchise laws. Yeah, well, it's it's also yeah. oh. eminently possible to put one of those uh you know, a display vehicle there. And you still don't have to have uh, you know, all of the F&I and the right. typical dealer inventory and stuff, especially if you've got a premium a uh, car like this that people have proven that they're they're willing to buy on the internet and wait for delivery and then you know the car just better be right at at delivery it better arrive on time and not be broken and yeah it, so it seems like they've paid attention to the stuff that works really well in this this sort of new paradigm that that Tesla has has um created and i think that that's actually been a really good part of the Tesla experience, the part where the customer gets satisfied on the delivery of the product still needs work. Um, and, and so you've got those, those franchise service operators that, um, they can, they can still serve their community. Uh, and you know, as long as you have franchise standards and they live up to the franchise standards, you, you're good. And then you're not taking on the entire, um, the entire investment either you know it's it's a typical franchise thing where maybe you help them you work with a lender and you help them line up financing and stuff but you don't necessarily own and build the stores and leases you know tesla tried to back out of uh, you know mall leases for their stores and they found out that those contracts don't really like it's not really that breaking a lease like that is not an easy thing to do um, unless you've got a whole bunch of cash to pay off the yeah. yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. So, I mean, I would be concerned naturally about volume. It, you know, when it, it can you really make a business case um, for operating a franchise, a Fisker franchise? Well, and and I think that's where the the inter, you know one of the interesting parts of this is that you know these service centers won't be just um, won't be. Um, Brand specific, like Exclu- exclu- okay. or exclusive, exclusive to right. uh, to Fisker. Yeah. So you know they're they're partnering with the existing service outlets. You know whether you know be chains, uh, you know or you know local independent uh, service providers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know and basically you know using up a little bit of extra capacity that they might have. Uh, so they won't have to necessarily invest. You know, they won't have to invest in a whole new shop. You know, or new right. real estate. You know, they can use the facilities they have. You know, and it'll just be, uh, you know, maybe in, investing in, you know, in some of the parts or tools that they may need. Uh, but compared to the rest of it, that's, you know, that's relatively, um, relatively trivial. It's um, kind of overstating it a little bit, but, but it's, it's a lot less of an investment that's going to be required for these service providers because they're, they're already in this business. They're already doing this stuff, you know, for other vehicles. And so, you know, they... Um, you know, they, they just get to, you know, have some more business basically. Right. You know, another intriguing idea with that is, uh, I've had the experience of many dealerships that are small and they're kind of overrun and the service area is quite large. 
So it's interesting to think if it if it is a multi-brand service area, could could there be opportunities for partnerships for other dealers to move their service area away from their dealership, away from their franchise and open up space to show more cars, maybe, you know, or to, to do different to offer, you know, to, to kind of to really just show show more cars, basically improve inventory, improve the buying experience, like so many people talk about, if you move your service center someplace else. So I think this is a really, really intriguing idea. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and then, you know, of course, the other the other part of this is, you know, actually manufacturing the vehicles. And, you know, what uh, what Henrik told me was that they're going to be partnering with uh, with someone else, you know, to get most of the major components, you know, things like the motors and power electronics and uh, and perhaps even batteries. And, you know, he he they have not finalized those deals yet. So he wasn't prepared to say who they're talking with. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if they ended up working with perhaps Volkswagen mm. and, you know, using something like the MEB platform or, or some other uh, some other architecture, you know, from some other brand that is willing to to share those underpinnings, you know, which are, you know, they're, they're less of a um, they're, they're less of something that is, you know, distinctive. You know, what the parts, the stuff that the customers are going to see, the body you know the thing, the stuff that's designed by Fisker and built by Fisker, you know, will be, uh, you know, that's that's the, the that stuff will be unique, right? You know, and that, and that's where you know that's really where where he's you know his strength lies is in design, right? Uh, you know, and, and creating something that looks very distinctive, right? For sure. I mean, I think you know, I think their biggest challenge as as any manufacturer sees this is just consideration. How do you get people to even to buy into this vehicle? And I understand that, you know, about buying things online. What was interesting about one of the Tesla stats that came, came out, and I think we talked about this the other day, was, you know, 85% of people bought, ended up buying the vehicle online. But how many people actually had gone to the dealership beforehand or to their showroom beforehand. We don't really know that. And I think that that's a challenge for Fisker. Again, it depends on how many they're planning on building. I don't know. Did you talk volume at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I asked him, but, you know, it wasn't really ready to to talk about that yet. I mean, it's, it's still a little premature, you know, but by, by launching, uh, you know, the goal is to launch in the latter half of 2021 with this $40,000 SUV. You know, he decided... They decided that, you know, with the the approach, you know, that they had taken last time, you know, with launching with a very high-end premium vehicle, that there just wasn't enough volume with that to, to be able to scale up and generate enough revenue to be able to grow the business. Right. Uh, you know, so it's kind of the, the opposite approach, not, not a, partially the opposite approach of what Tesla has done, which is, you know, at, you know $40,000, you know, certainly not an entry-level vehicle. But it's you know more of a mid-range vehicle, but he wants to make it fairly premium at that price point, and then you know grow from there. Yeah, I mean, I I question that only because again, it's a brand that is. Do people that buy forty thousand dollar vehicles, do they are they Fisker types? You know, are are they people? I think that Fisker would like would them buy, to be Fisker types. <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I agree with you. But but whether they are or not, 
I think is, is another question. You know, if you've got the, if you have the mentality, I mean, I guess in some ways he's sort of rewarding the Tesla files who may not be able to afford a Tesla to say, Hey, look, you know, here's a different kind of car company as well. Well, and you know, depending on who he's getting the, the hardware from, you know, it could be, you know, you, you're, you could now be mixing in, look, we've got this amazing Fisker design, you know, that looks distinct and, and special. Right. And, you know, it's built on hardware that is going to be reliable, that you can count on. Right. Yeah, well, I think that's the key uh, with EVs. You know, we're really in this the sort of echo of what happened with the, the gasoline car industry in the 30s. There were a lot of brands that didn't make it all that far um but they they were basically buying all their parts from suppliers you know they bought engines from continental and transmissions from borg warner and they you know they just they bought the parts and they assembled them and they had their own styling you know i mean even famous ones too like jordan um is probably the the most famous one i can sort of pick off the top of my head uh and and evs are kind of at that point now where the, the hardware doesn't really matter uh what matters more is the the way it looks the the name the brand cachet you know it, it's the the overall customer experience and the user yeah. experience in the vehicle and, and because you can you can pretty well tune it to behave the way you want it and different from other cars even with the same motors and batteries you know there's a, a lot of flexibility to make it behave the way you want uh there's there's still going to be variety and uh, you know i just i think that if you if you can offer that kind of exclusive thing that fisker has a name and uh in in certain circles it's it's known and so that's that's a plus they've also done their sort of rodeo with the really high priced car so they they learned from that experience. I I hope. <laughs> I mean, it's it. That's certainly the impression I got from from talking to Henrik today is that that he has learned a lot of lessons from from that experience and is taking a much more pragmatic yeah, approach and, now. And nobody's nobody's really done that forty thousand dollar car. The closest we have right now is is like the there's the Leaf and the Bolt and then the Model uh, Three. That's not okay, but. Can he can he really make money selling these for forty thousand or even fifty thousand? Uh, well, right. that's a whole I, other story. I mean, <laughs> I I hope I so. That that's something that well, uh, I guess it remains to be seen. But when you look at the parts that he's trying to cut out, right? You're gonna have you're not. I mean, Tesla again. I don't want to keep like returning to them, but you know they're not making money on the Model Threes. Um, right. But they're also what they do is they will say, please send us your money, send us your deposits. <laughs> so they're they're getting basically in investment that way. Right. Uh, so instead of having... Interest-free loans. Right. Interest-free, unsecured loans. You know what? I mean, it's the same as playing the lottery. Uh, you just you, you give it to Tesla and Elon instead of the state. Uh, but instead of going sort of to the individual customer level for that they're going to have franchisees for the service side of the operation you know they're not they're not, mm. they're not investing in in you know leasing land and building showrooms and sending the inventory out and and whatever because they still have a name they're still going to be able to build these things to order um you know versus stacking up inventory or at least they won't stack up too much inventory um 
Yeah, hopefully. hopefully. Uh, that's a problem across the industry quite a bit right now, from what I understand. Uh, we've got a lot of inventory and we're waiting for the bottom to drop out. Um, so I, I think that they, you know, if they get enough franchisees to sort of buy in on it, they, they could have some, some capital to work with to augment their existing capital, and maybe they can bring the car in profitably if they're not trying to build that giant sales network. Um, which like, that's a bit of an investment, you know? Uh, sure. so I, I don't know. I mean, if you're trimming cost out of one area of the business, uh, maybe, maybe it can work. The, the, the car itself might not be profitable, but the operation overall might be, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. We got, got a couple more years yeah. to wait. So at least. All right. Um, we've done, I this, this concludes the conjecture portion of the, <laughs> <laughs> of the podcast um did we ever uh well i guess we didn't we didn't publicize any any questions have we gotten any questions there was a there was one a while ago about the telluride uh yeah there there was a, yeah i mean none of us have driven the telluride yet you you didn't do, go on the telluride no. drive did you uh oh, rebecca no i did not you would be there if now james if bell you is did, listening right? Yes, yeah. if James Bell is listening, I'd be happy to go. Uh, but no, I am going on the Jeep Gladiator next week, though. Ooh. That should and, be interesting. I know. When will you be able to talk about that? So you, you'll be going on it next week. Uh, right. I don't know when the embargo date is. I did see it um, in New York uh, Tuesday, last Tuesday. We weren't able to drive it, but I was able to see it. It's big. It's long. Yeah. I, yes, it is. I, I saw it in L.A. Yeah, I it, saw it, it in L.A. too, but it was different, you know, like kind of looking at it and up close and personal. And uh, it's a long truck, so I'll be really curious to see how it is off road. You know, they talked a bit about angle of approach and such, but um, I can't remember now how much longer it is than the Wrangler. I want to say. Eight, I think it's about a foot and a half 18 longer. inches, yeah. 18 inches longer. Yeah, I, I seem to recall 17 being the number. Yes, <laughs> it, it's quite long. So, uh, you know, again, I'll be very intrigued. You know, of course, the new Wrangler, I think, is fantastic. But uh, it'll be very interesting to see how this one handles with that pickup truck bed in the back. They are going to sell everything. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. For a lot of profit. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's good for them. Uh, All right, well, uh, we'll have that. When you can talk about it, we'll talk about the Gladiator. And um, when we drive the Telluride, we'll tell you more about it. Uh, But certainly, um, the first drives are going on now, so impressions are going to be out soon anyway, across the entire journalism spectrum, so. Um, you should be satisfied with that soon. Uh, so with that, I think that's that's the end of this podcast. All right. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.